What is up, you guys? Welcome to the Live Free Podcast. This is Live Free with Mikey here. How are you doing today, JD? Uh, I am doing fantastic today. Awesome, awesome. All right, guys, we're joking. Uh, this is JD. Uh, we're here with Mikey and a uh, special guest, Carrie, who has not entered in the real estate market yet. But what we're going to do for you guys is Carrie's going to ask some questions, uh, lob them up for, for me and Mike, and we are going to run through how to get started with real estate uh, from the perspective of someone who's not in the game yet. So without any further ado, how are you doing today, Carrie? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm super excited to talk with you. Wow, so punctual. Love it. Feel free to let loose here, Carrie. Make yourself at home. All right, here we go. Carrie, what do you got for us first? Okay, guys, so I'm finally getting ready to like feel comfortable to take my first leap into real estate here. And I was just like wondering what my first step should be. Should I be like looking for like my like loan ability if I can get approved, or should I just like start looking for houses or short term rentals that I'm interested in? Like, where should I go first? So basically, I mean, the first thing you really should do or really anybody should do before getting into real estate is do a little bit of research, you know, like go on YouTube, read some books, listen to the Live Free podcast, of course, um, just do a little bit of learning, even ask questions to your local realtor or, you know, people in your family who will go into real estate, just start asking questions. And if you really want to, and you really want to like take that initiative, you can even ask like local people who like are doing real estate to just shadow them and just watch what they're doing and see what like their thoughts are and how they do it yeah and another thing i'll add is at the beginning when you're not really sure what you should be doing mike nailed it with the knowledge section but you also have to manifest it so saving like a picture of a house that you think is cool as your background or just leaving the zillow tab open on your computer will be a nice little reminder to keep you motivated and excited about your next real estate venture no absolutely guys i have been listening to your podcast weekly it's really got me motivated and i was wondering like is there like a magic number with like how much cash you should have to get started like say like for like estimate like i have 30k is that enough to get started in like real estate yeah i mean so it really honestly depends what kind of niche you really want to go into and um start going back to like when you're first starting out and you're kind of figuring out what you want to do you should do a little bit of research and figure out which niche you want to go into because that is kind of going to decide how much cash you're going to need um, to get started. Like if you want to do a long-term rental, if you want to do a short-term rental, if you want to do a single-family house, if you want to do um, a multi-family place, um, and most certainly the area you're going to be buying in is definitely going to change how much money you need. If you're going to be buying in California, you're probably going to need a lot more money versus if you're going you know, in like Idaho or, or somewhere that's, that's probably not as expensive. Um, What's wrong with Idaho, Mike? I just, nobody, why would you ever want to go to Idaho? There's potatoes. <laughs> they, they do, f- fair you enough, they do have potatoes. There is a short-term rental in Idaho that is a giant potato that you can stay in. I think there's a whole potato hotel. Wow. Well, I mean, that, that might change things, honestly. Maybe, okay, maybe you buy in Idaho, great, great investment, guys. Yeah, I've heard good things about Boise. Uh, but 30K is, is more than enough. When I bought my first house, I had 3K in the bank when I signed the contract, and I had about 40 days to come up with another 12K, which is more than I've ever had. So you don't need a lot. You just need to be motivated, and you need to make sure you're making the right decision on which house you're getting. Uh, if you're buying it as somewhere to live, which is what I did, and then just grab some roommates to, to cover the mortgage, you really don't need much to get started. What you need is the motivation. Yeah, and we've talked about your first deal before on, on a, another podcast, but if you want to quickly um, just uh, give them like sort of the, the area you bought in and just like very quick go through that. Yeah, sure thing. So. I knew I wanted to live in Philadelphia. I was looking at a bunch of different neighborhoods. 
Uh, when I first started looking, I was going to try to grab a duplex and try to stay around 200, 250,000. I know that sounds crazy nowadays. This was uh, a couple years back and you could get a duplex for that price. But uh, I was under contract about to close on this duplex and the roof kind of fell apart uh, just a couple days before closing. Did the final walkthrough. There was a hole in the roof. The roof pieces had fallen into the third floor and the realtor was like, we'll get this fixed up and uh, we'll close a day or two later. That's how I knew I picked the wrong realtor. She was really just trying to push for the transaction to go through and didn't have my best interest. And we'll get into hopefully how to pick out the right realtor later. But after that, I pivoted. Uh, I changed my price point to something that I was gonna house hack um, that was a lot more luxury. Uh, 375 price point in Philly, brand new construction. Um, and when I first started looking, I grew up in an area where the dream was to have a house that was like $300,000. You knew you made it if your family lived in a house that was uh, 300,000 or more. So for me, buying a, a house at 24 that was almost 400,000 was a little bit scary. Um, and when you come to pick a price point, you have to get the concept that borrowing that much money means you have to like rapidly pay this off or you're in crazy amount of debt. Because what it really comes back to is, can you cover the mortgage? And can you cover the mortgage if you have roommates? Like how much money you're gonna be bringing in? Because for me, it switched my entire savings profile up from spending $800 a month on rent to pocketing $400 a month from where I was living, drastically changing the amount I was able to save each month. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, a, a house hack is honestly a really good option for people starting to get into real estate, and this is something I would recommend you carry, depending on your situation, um, would be a house hack, because that'll take down um, most people's big, biggest expense monthly, which is rent. Yeah, housing is the biggest cost that you're gonna have, and it's it's better to keep it in your pocket than put it in someone else's. So 30K is overkill, I had 3K. You should have 10 houses by now. <laughs> All right, guys, so, so it sounds like I need to figure my niche out first and then find a realtor. Or would it be best to find my realtor that could cover any of these like niches? Do I would say- realtors focus on one? I would say it's always best to, to start talking to a realtor because they might be able to honestly sort of gauge your interest and figure out what might be best for you. Um, because that's, that's what a realtor's job is at the end of the day, is to try to help you figure out what is best for you and just kind of guide you because they're more informed on the market and sort of the different things you can do with real estate that you might not be as well with. Yeah, if I had rocked with the second realtor um, instead of the first one who I just kind of had introduced from Zillow, um, I would have been in a much better position to make the right move sooner. So having the right realtor matters. But the question comes down to you, Carrie, like what is it that has you interested in real estate? What has me really interested is the whole like hearing about the live free movement, learning about the live free movement is just like building a better future for my family tomorrow. So I like just want to grow some wealth. I want to get comfortable. I want to feel like good financially. I know like with the job I'm working right now, I'm going to keep my steady salary, but where do I go from here? Like I'm not in a place of growth with my job, but what can I do with what I've earned and learned so far? So really, I would say you have two options. Your first option would be to just jump into the investor game right away and get a short-term rental or a long-term rental, whichever might make sense for you, or it could be to do that first house hack. Now, you have a lot of power when you first jump into a house hack right away because you can do a 3% down payment, if you didn't know that. You know a 3% down payment for the first house you ever buy, which is a lot less than if you have to go to an investment right away, which might be 15 or 20%. So you're able to leverage so much higher and spend so much less money. Your 30K will go much further in a 3% than it will in a 20%. That's how I got my 375 
house for $15,000 down. I had the, the seller negotiated to pay 10,000 of my closing costs, put 3% down, and uh, my total out of pocket was 15K. So you're, you're definitely in a good spot. And I got into it for the same reason you did. Um, I didn't see the long-term growth in my job. I didn't want to have to work 30 years to get up to the point uh, where I was making a little bit more money. And I knew real estate would be a much faster way to do that. For sure, yeah. Do you want to talk real quick how you got the seller to pay your closing costs? Yeah, so when you guys are negotiating price, uh, there's a facet to it in the sense that the seller only cares about how much they're pocketing at the end of the day. So the seller was willing to take an offer at 365, so instead I offered them 375 and they gave me the $10,000 difference towards my closing costs. On a first-time home loan, you can get up to 3% funded if you're doing conventional, um, or FHA, you can get 6% seller's assist, which is crazy. Um, but you do have to keep in mind with FHA, your rates are going to be a little bit higher. You're going to have PMI for the life of the loan. There's a lot of reasons that I chose to go with the conventional over the FHA. Um, essentially, my monthly payment was much lower for the duration of the loan just from the, the rates and the PMI. But 6%, you have to remember that houses have to appraise. So for those of you guys who don't know what an appraisal is, the bank is only going to give you a loan if the house is worth that much. And if you want seller's assist wrapped in, that's got to be essentially part of the loan. So if that house came back and the, the bank said it was only worth three sixty-five, then I don't get any of that $10,000 towards closing. And if you're rocking with an FHA, that extra 3%, now I'm asking for three eighty-five. The house came in at three seventy-five, which means I would have been good to get my assist on conventional uh, and been stuck with the FHA loan and not getting the assist to make up the difference. So... Appraisals are a fun thing. Don't worry about that, you guys. Uh, for those guys, for those of you out there that are a little bit newer, uh, appraisals are next level thing. Um, your agent will be able to help you out with that. Awesome. Well, speaking of you buying your house a couple years ago, I've been like hearing everyone talk about how interest rates are super interest rates are super high right now. Should I be concerned about this, or do you think it's still a good time to buy? Yeah. So I'm kind of gonna throw this over to JD a little bit. Um, but in my opinion, um, I, I feel like it depends on honestly what you're doing. Um, if, if you run your numbers and you're gonna buy an, an investment property, if the numbers still make sense at that higher interest rate, I don't think there's any reason to not buy. Um, you, you hear a lot of people talking about all the time, doesn't matter where the market is, that oh, there's a crash coming, don't buy, wait until you, you know, wait a few years or wait or however long, you know. People always say there's always a crash coming. There always is a crash coming, there always will be a crash coming. and. In my opinion, it doesn't matter where the market is, there's always deals to be found, and you can always make money in an uptrend or a downtrend. Yeah, the rates really don't matter. Um, and I say that with the thinking that you're investing for the long term. You're not gonna be selling this house in the next year or two. You plan on holding it for a while. Whether you have a low rate, and now your sellers are all asking for much higher prices, you're running numbers, and all that matters is that the numbers work for you. So. Let's say you have a $300,000 house and the mortgage was $1,500 um, because the rate was so low, but now you might have to spend $250,000 to end up with the same $1,500 mortgage. Yes, like houses are more expensive from the rate, but at the same time, sellers used to be able to demand a crazy price and now it's coming down. So I think the opportunity is better than it ever was because you're not in bidding wars anymore. Sellers are willing to price drop. And as long as that monthly payment still works for you, then you're still in a good spot regardless of the rate. Yeah, it's really honestly better for the buyer um, when 
the rates are higher because there's there's like you said there's less competition on it so sellers are willing to take a little less um, you you can have more favorable terms for yourself and just protect yourself more get get you out of deal if you absolutely need to and there's just honestly it's, it's a better market and you can always refi down the road so like let's say you oh, invest totally. today at six percent rate now you're getting the house for 250 instead of 300 well five years from now when the rates are back below six you can refinance you owe less on the house because you didn't agree to a higher purchase price and now your monthly payment will drop it's much harder to do the, to do the inverse to, to once you lock in at a low rate chances are you're never letting go of the house i would never let go of any of my houses that are in the three percent rates and by refinancing later at a low rate you also can take out some of your equity i've built up and use that towards down payment for the next house oh yeah wow guys it's a lot of information hadn't really thought about it like that and I guess also looking at it that way, if I did get into a short-term rental, the longer I wait, the less money I'm making, it seems like, just passing up opportunities to make cash flow. Yeah, the opportunity cost. So it's not really that you're losing money, you're just losing out of potential money. You could wait three years to buy your first house, and hopefully rates are better then. There's no guarantee that that's gonna happen. Or you can start investing today and within three years have your job totally replaced and not be on the sidelines. Or you guys just wait, never buy houses, let me buy them all you'll be doing me a favor. Great guys. So in all actuality, like my biggest thought is like house hack versus short-term rental. But when it comes down to it, I am a remote worker and I don't really stay in the same area for long. So I feel like the house hack option could be good, but it could also like down the line, I'm just, I'm not really like ready to commit to like one area to like settle down in. Does that mean I like the short-term rental is probably my better way to go? Or can I house hack and then eventually just rent out all the rooms, including mine? I think it honestly might depend just on you personally, your money situation. If you have a little bit more money, you could jump right into a an investment at 20% or 15%, but it could make more sense if you wanna have your money go a little further. You could jump into that three or 5% for some people, um, first time home buyer house. And then after that, jump into a 10% second home, um, and that, that would be a lot less money than having to jump into that 20 or 15% right away. Yeah, I totally agree the moves to house hack first and then grab the second home after because you're getting in at 13% of the purchase price between the 3% down on the first one and 10% on the second, whereas if you go investment, you're only getting one house at 15. So you're paying more to get one house than you would be for just racking up two. And moving around a lot, I feel you on that. The thing is you have a ton of flexibility with the sharing space nowadays. So if you're leaving for a week to go visit a friend, have your Airbnb listing ready, set it up so that you have it online a week or two before you go, your place will get booked. Then you leave and now any money you're spending when you're visiting your friend, you now have extra cash to go get 50 cent shots at the bar on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's and you only can also, in Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can also do that, that um, first 3% that first time, and then you can do a 5% every single year with, with buying a new house, and you just have to move into it and house hack and just keep repeating the process. Yeah, and it just has to make sense. So Carrie's in a really good spot because she's remote. She can literally house hack anywhere. For people who have an office job, you have to live near the office, which granted, I would figure you guys want to do that because you have to go into the office, so you want to live close to where you work. But Carrie's got all the power. Congrats, Carrie. <laughs> wow, thanks, guys. Another thing I've been thinking about though, like because I have been like PA based lately, uh, and pretty much in Philly most of the time, I've seen that like the appreciation of the homes in the Poconos has been like crazy. So some houses that sold for 50K five years ago are going for 300K now. But the houses in Philly have had like a little bit more steady growth. Is that something to consider when buying like investing or should I not really worry about that too much? 
So one thing I always say is don't really ever count on appreciation towards um, however much money you want to make from real estate. I always say that, that the appreciation of a house is really just the, the icing on, on top of the cake. It's really just that extra money that you'll get you know years down the line later because you're not just because your house goes up in value with appreciation doesn't mean you're actually getting that money in your bank account right away it's going to increase like your quote-unquote net worth but it's not you're not actually going to see that gain in your bank account so i wouldn't really pick an area for appreciation um necessarily versus i would look for more depending on your situation more cash flow base um or really whatever your situation is yeah when you're younger and for most people, cash flow is king. Now, with that being said, I'm gonna go bold here and say appreciation is not at all something to ignore. Uh, that's one of the reasons I really like Philadelphia is it's very predictable on which areas are gonna blow up next. Uh, it's not always a guarantee, but you can see the number of building permits out. You can see the number of lots owned by LLCs. You know where developers are eventually gonna build. And it's, it's almost like trading stocks like Martha Stewart. You have the information and all the cards are stacked with you, not against you. Now, there are definitely some markets that get hotter and colder um, and some markets that don't have that much room for more development. So you, you wanna keep that in mind. If you're trying to like pick one place or the other, I would definitely consider appreciation as like a tiebreaker. Uh, and it is a really easy way. Like you said, rates are a little bit higher now. Chances are, if you're in a market that's gonna be primed to appreciate, Let's say your house goes up 100,000 in value over the next five years, which is very feasible. My first house went up 100,000 in the first two and a half years. Uh, when you go to refi later, they're gonna take it at the new appreciated value and you will get that cash out. So sometimes cash flow is not even as important as the appreciation and it really depends. If you can find something that has decent cash flow and is in a really good position to appreciate, that's where I would go. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, since living in Philly, I just see so much new construction going up everywhere. And it's like getting in there before it gets too hot almost. Like, how do you know when it's gonna like, put up, like, pretty crazy. Point Breeze right now just has like new construction everywhere you look and things are just getting like better all around. So I don't know if I'd buy here or like, or where I would go for my like first house hack, but there's a lot to consider when going into it. I wanna like make sure I'm doing the most with my money and not like making any mistakes. Um. When you're looking into like house hacks, like what helps you like identify a good one? Like, do you like look more for like everyone having their own bathroom, their own like how many bedrooms do you look for? Like, what's like that like that like prime spot of like roommates like ratio to like make it even like livable? So really, it's up to you, honestly, in terms of how nice and how high quality the place is, and then obviously what you can afford and what you can get approved for. Um, but really, if you're going for a sort of house hack like rent by the room situation, I would say the more rooms you can have in a place typically the more money you can make from that place. Because um, if you can do seven or $800 a room or you know whatever it be um, in, in your area, whatever that area demands in, in, in typical rent, um, you can make more or less money depending on just having that extra bedroom. Or I mean, what a lot of people do, and I've seen this a lot in Philly, is they'll have a four bedroom house with a basement and then they'll take that basement as their bedroom, even though it's not a legal bedroom, they will live in the, in the basement and then rent the other four bedrooms out and, and cash flow crazy. It's wild. Sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it depends on the market that you're in. Every market is different and there's gonna be certain things that appeal to people. Philadelphia makes it really easy, and I'm sure most markets you can do the same thing. There's only so many types of inventory. When you're looking at houses, there's not that many things that set them apart, so you have to kind of 
look at the the price that they're listing at and see like okay is it worth spending 375 instead of 350 to get a fourth bedroom and chances are there's going to be different values and different amenities that you can have like you said having an extra bathroom in every room i was willing to pay up for that uh to get a house where every bedroom had its own bathroom um so people had basically their own floor and own suite and that base that hits almost an apartment style vibe when you have your own suite like that so you can be honest with yourself as a consumer and someone coming out of the renting market, like what would you pay for that room to live there? Like, have you rented something similar to that before? What were you paying? What would you pay to have an extra bathroom? Like you can be the consumer and put yourself in those shoes. It's very true. I also think in like, with looking for like the house hack option, I know like your first house is 3% down. What happens if you move out of your house hack? Like, do you get like, do you have to live there? So, well, actually, there's a little leprechaun that runs around and he's hired by the banks and he tries to make sure that if you do anything sketchy, he's going to get you. That's not at all the case. The, the way that the clauses are defined in mortgages is you have to have the intention of moving in. Uh, as long as you sign honestly with the intention of moving in, people's life scenarios change. Banks understand that, okay, maybe you're remote now, but maybe you just got a, a job opportunity for double. Uh, in Texas, and now you don't want to live in Philadelphia anymore. Now you can't live in Philadelphia anymore. So the bank's not going to say, and that little leprechaun's not going to run around and be like, hey, you got to stay in Philly. Situations change. You'll be okay. Um, I can keep the house with no issue, though. Keep the house with no issue. You just got to find a new renter. Yeah, people change jobs. People get divorced. People move. People, you know, get sick. There's, there's tons of reasons why somebody who once planned on genuinely living in that house have to move like right after or a month or two after like there's there's situations that do happen yeah and if if you didn't plan on living in the house then you're kind of a jerk because then you're lying and then the leprechaun might really come <laughs> but otherwise you're good and that just puts you in a, a great scenario to do another house hack usually banks want you to stay in the house for a year before they'll give you a loan on another place but there's ways ways to get around that obviously if you relocate for work you're going to be good um, or even in the same area, life circumstances change. Maybe you need a bigger place. Maybe you're thinking about starting a family, you want some extra bedrooms. Like whatever the case may be, maybe you just want a nicer house or want to live in a neighborhood a uh, little bit over that's more appealing to you. Banks will keep this in mind. It just has to make sense. No one, no bank is going to be like, all right, Carrie, you can buy the house next to the one you bought first because you don't like the neighbors. Like it, it just has to make sense to the bank. Totally. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, so when I think about this, I like look at both of your stories so much. I know like JD like really crushed the house hacking you started, but Mike, you went the opposite direction. You I started did. out in the short-term rentals and you don't have, you haven't done a house hack yet. You are still in fact paying rent. Like, like what's holding you back from like making that jump to house hacking? That is very true. Um, and my, my big reason for doing that is, um, number one, I don't have a, a W-2 job, so I can't get approved for, for any sort of loans. So my only way to get into real estate and start you know, getting properties was to do partnerships. So I was actually thankful enough to be able to partnership uh, with my dad on a place. Um, and he's, I, you know, I've sort of been talking to him a little bit about getting into the short-term rental game and just getting investments like that. Um, and he was all for it after he, you know, he saw some, some of what I've been you know, working on in Philly with um, the property management company and things like that. Um, so he wanted to get into rentals and I wanted to get into rentals too. Um, and he doesn't want to, you know, pay for a place for me to live in house hack. It just wouldn't make sense for him. Um, and I also like the idea of having a bunch more cash flow 
Um, so I would actually be making more money on, on the, the property I invested in than I would be saving by not having to pay rent anymore with the house act. So for me personally, it actually did make more sense for me to go into the investment right away. It is awesome, like watching out different things work for different people. Um, thinking about that again, so I do have a W-2 and I do have some money saved up, but if I only make 60 to 70K a year, like what do I really qualify for? So the general rule of thumb um, for most lenders is is five, and usually it's closer to five, but five to six times what you make per year um, pre-tax is what you can get qualified for. Yeah, so if you're making 60, I would say 300 is a pretty safe bet, but it really depends on where you're going, right? Because if there's additional property tax or some sort of HOA or anything that's gonna bump up your monthly payment, uh, then that's gonna have to be factored in as well. I guess there also comes in the risk if I want a house hack, I'm kind of banking on my roommates to help pay this mortgage down. What if I like struggle to find roommates or I have roommate issues? Like those are all things I have to consider in this as well. I feel like in a place like Philly, it's a little easier or in like some more major cities um, because there are, you know, like we said, a lot of people coming into Philly. You can kind of just rent on Airbnb and I feel like you shouldn't have too much of a crazy problem for that. Um, but there's also places like you can hop in Facebook groups or you can hop in, you know, all these different online places and then just find if you really need to find a roommate you I feel you could find a roommate let me ask you Carrie how do you usually find a place to live I typically look well me for myself I bounce around a lot and I also don't own furniture so I typically go on Facebook or furnished finder when I'm looking for a place to stay okay so that's exactly what you do you list your your spot on Facebook and furnished finder and people just like you will be looking there and you'll have new roommates and perhaps new friends living with people just like myself that sounds awesome <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe you don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we get four or five of me in there. It'd be the best house I've ever seen. That'd be a wild house. Okay. So you better have good insurance. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of insurance, actually, if I have roommates and they like damage my house, would my insurance cover that? Yeah. So you would have. Um, actually, would you have a landlord policy? Or would you have a a renter's policy, or a, a homeowner's policy if you have people living in your house? So you'd have a, a traditional homeowner's policy because you're living there, uh, that was your intention. Then you can ask the people who move in to get renter's insurance, which, right. you know that thing that you guys all ignore when you move in somewhere, they say you have to have at least a policy for this much. You're gonna require your roommates to get that or you're gonna have it yourself in some form. There's always extra layers of insurance you can get, but there's super easy ways to do that. Like, I think I was paying $10 a month when I was uh, renting a place most recently and it's through an app called Lemonade. I just went on the app, it took me about 10 minutes to set it up, and then all of my stuff was covered. Um, roommates do that, all of their stuff is covered. Anything that they damage is covered. Uh, it's a pretty sweet policy, and honestly, I feel like it never gets hit. Like, It's very rare that roommates do something and are like not gonna take accountability for it. Oh, for sure. It was I was actually very close to buying Lemonade stock when it was first coming out, and I'm really upset that I didn't, because I would've made a, a ton of money, by the way. Just thought I'd throw that in there. And also with like the house hacking, say I find like someone that's gonna like lease for a year, do I have to like build a lease for them to sign? Like what makes that lease legal? So it's actually pretty easy. You can really just go online and just simply type in like simple um, lease agreement for tenant and, and landlord. Um, 
and you can find the pretty. You can also talk to um, your um, realtor, and they should be able to come up with one for you. Um, but, and then there's there's basic templates, but you can also change it to, to what you need if there's certain aspects that you need. You know, because you're gonna have to put in um, your specific uh, specifics, like how much rent's gonna be, what day they pay, um, if there's a fee, if they don't pay on time. Um, what happens if they don't show up to board games on Wednesday when the weekly requirement is one board game night a week? At it's in the Elo. lease. I uh, hope you're listening to this, Elo, because you did not listen to that requirement back in the day. <laughs> See, if it was in the lease, he would have had to conform, been required. but we left it out. Yeah, so there's tons of things you can put in there to, to kind of just conform to what your needs are and what their needs are, um, but it's super easy to find one. You can just talk to your realtor, and they should be able to get you one. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of limiting beliefs behind how difficult it is to, to get roommates, to set up leases, to, to become that like landlord. Um, really, it's no different than anything you've already been doing. You've been looking for places online. These people exist. You make one post. How often do you post on social media? It's no different. Just making a post, adding some pictures to find roommates. You ask your realtor for a lease. Now you have a lease. You send it for DocuSign. You've asked people to sign things before. You sign things. We all have our own John Hancock. Uh, it's, it's not too bad. The only thing is separating being a landlord from being a roommate. 90% of the time, you're going to have your roommate hat on. When it's time to put the landlord hat on, you say, hey, I got my landlord hat on. Let's talk about this, business. <clears throat> Takes five minutes, might get uncomfortable for a second, then you're back to being roommates and you can argue, argue over who left the dishes in the sink. Yeah, that is a big thing. And then one thing I do suggest, and JD will probably be um, just as in agreement with me, um, you, you probably wanna set pretty strict standards right from the get-go on, look, rent has to get paid on time, you have to stay clean, you have to do X, Y, Z, um, you can't do XYZ, um, like smoking, smoking in the house, you know, things like that. Things like you have to, you want really want to put a strict set of guidelines and rules right away and let them know that you are serious about being on them if they're not, you know, cooperating. Yeah, and a lot of times you're going to want to run some sort of credit or background check on these people, um, especially if you're finding them in Facebook groups. Uh, that's, that's where bad people tend to find find properties to, to move into. They're hoping for someone not to check their credit. So make sure you do the credit check. What I used to do is I would offer people the option, um, hey, I'm gonna check your credit. If it all looks good, I'll refund you the $40 that it costs to check it off your first month's rent. That way it's a win-win. You get to check their credit, they don't have to pay for it. That is a super good idea. And then um, why do you charge them to, to make a uh, to request to live there? Excuse Application me? fee? Yeah, why do you charge an application fee? Because it costs money to check someone's credit. Okay. Someone has to pay for that, Mike. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was I was kind of testing. I was looking for the answer of <laughs> so people are serious when they when they put the application. They're not just kind of putting it in, you know, a bunch of different places. Yeah, for sure. That's a lot of times like people think that applications fees are just to try to make an extra buck, but there's costs associated with them, and it's a good way to screen people who weren't that serious. Right. Okay. So back to the little leprechaun. So say I have my first house hack, and you said after after one year I can do it again, pretty much. But can I go ahead and get my like first short term rental before that year's up, or are they like separate entities? Like what are, like what would I need to do to like move forward after my first purchase? Like when can I live free? Yeah. So so the house hack is really the only restriction you have, um, like with with getting loans. So if you're gonna do a three percent, you know your first one, you have to live there um, at least for a year. Um, you know there's those certain things like we talked about before that could change it um, and then you can do a five percent down payment every single year and you have to move into that but you can also at any point do 
your second one, your second house at 10%. You can do that one time. And then you can do as many 15 and 20% as you want after that. You don't have to wait a certain time period. You just have to have the money to be able to, to do it. And you have to be able to qualify for it too, of course. And then debt to income kind of plays into that a little bit. Yeah, and the way that I did it was the 5%. So do the first one at three, and then do the next next couple at five. Every time you're ready to move, move. Because what happens is you move out of the first place, that turns into a rental, and now you have a new primary. So you still end up with a rental and a primary. You do it again, now you have a new primary and two rentals. That way you're consistently leveraging at 5% down. And with 30K, you could probably have three houses within the next 12 months. Yeah, I mean, I would say basically is once you get into your first property, as soon as you have enough money for your next one, the bank should be pretty open with you and, and let you make that next house hack at that 5% once again. I don't think that they're necessarily going to sh- be strict on that year um, because if you're going into a, a, a better property or like a, a, in a better area, more expensive, you know, more space, I think they should have no problem lending to you again without it being quite one year. Yeah, exactly. And, and if you're worried about it, just wait a year. Um, no one's no one's going to balk at the fact that you've gotten a property every year. Five years down the line, you have five. You're in a pretty good spot. Wow. That's awesome, guys. Just the idea of like having like three houses in the next year, it sounds insane. At what point with like cash flow and like investment do you think is like a good time to like quit your job and start a lifestyle? So I would say it's really up to you and sort of what your life decisions and goals are. Um, because once you do make that step and, and quit that job, you kind of lose the the nice aspect of being able to, to get loans. Because once you don't have a job, you don't have income, nobody's going to want to loan you. It doesn't matter how much money you have coming in from your, you know, your other businesses and side hustles and things like that. Um, banks don't want to lend to people who don't make money on paper. Yeah, the job is super important for getting more loans. Uh, I think there's a point where the more houses you have, the less you want to work and work for somebody else. So going into work when you have no houses is like, this is fun, this is what I do. Going to work when you have three houses is like, eh, I kind of make almost as much money with the houses as I do from the job, I don't care about this as much. Going into work when you have six houses, and at that point you're like, I make three times as much from the houses than I do the job, I don't care, I'm ready to quit, then you can quit. And you'll know, it's, it's not like you go from zero to six houses overnight, uh, it took me six to, to drop out of the job, but like I said, it's not overnight. You'll be able to feel that each day as you walk into work, and then you'll know what you want to do. But it just, as you start making more money, you're going to have a different trade of your time for money. So working for $20, $25 an hour gets less and less appealing when you have so much passive income. And the other thing to remember is you're at a very different spot when you have, say, six houses and a job than you are with just six houses. It's almost like taking a step back. And, the, and what I mean by that is you have gotten used to spending like you have a job in six houses and a lot of money. You might be balling out. Are you willing to take a step back and maybe cut down on some of the extra expenses you have so that you don't have to work anymore? And that's a lifestyle trade that you have to assess when you get there. No, yeah, absolutely. for sure. It's crazy. Um, that's been great, guys. Like, so... I'm gonna get my first house hack. That's why I sound like my best bet for my first move. But then with the short-term rental and everything, how does like managing that go? Should like, even just for like my first one, do I need like a managed company for one or should I wait till I have a couple of them to get into the management side? 
So it really depends on you and then uh, if you still have a job and that job takes up a lot of your time or if you you know have a family and things like that that takes up a lot more of your time, you don't really have extra time to be managing a short-term rental because a lot of people don't know this, you don't actually like have short-term rentals, but it's it becomes a full-time job very, very, very quickly um, because there's a lot more that you have to worry about and, and think about um, with a short-term rental versus long-term rental, and that being you have to have pretty much constant communication with the guests or at least be able to be reached by the guests at pretty much all hours of the day. You have to manage cleaning teams coming in and out after each turnover. You have to manage maintenance. You have to manage... Um, yeah, you have to you have to do the pricing. There's there's a lot of things that go into short-term rentals, but I do think that it's it's definitely feasible to handle a couple yourself, one, two, or three. And I I would urge you to try to do at least like a spare room in your house first, so you can get a taste of what all goes into it. Then you can determine: Do I like doing this? Do I not like doing this? Do I want to hire it out to property management? Uh, does it is it saving me enough money to do it myself? Sometimes the answer is yes. Like if you're working and you have one house and you're still bored and you don't mind taking on an additional side hustle of managing your own spot, then by all means, do it. That'll help you save more for the next one. Uh, and you'll get a better understanding of what goes into it so that down the line, the reason you want to get into real estate is you want to not work as much. So it's kind of counterproductive to, to build something up without the vision of eventually handing it off and paying someone else to do that work for you when you have more money rolling in. Yeah, it really just comes down to how much time do you have and how much money um, are you willing to spend for a property management company if you don't have that time and you want to keep it passive, which obviously most of you probably want to do if you're getting real estate, like you said. Um, but yeah, and you also, one big thing people always forget about is if you're going to start off with a property um, without property management, like you're going to manage it yourself, you should budget for property management. Um, just because down the line, eventually you're going to probably move into, if, if you continue with real estate, which you probably most likely will, um, you'll get that real estate bug. Um, you want to budget for property management because eventually you're going to want to make it passive and you want to make sure that this, the investment is still a good investment with having that management taken out, which with short-term rental could be you know, a lot, like up to 20, 25%. Yeah, exactly. You have to underwrite for that. If you're, let's say you were thinking the house was going to make 4,000 a month, but you were going to be running it yourself. That's not the not the same as it making three thousand dollars a month with someone else. So, you should be looking for the house that makes five thousand a month. That way, after management, you're making four thousand, and that deal is much better. So, you can be a little pickier with your criteria, and you'll end up in a better spot. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, guys. And with your like short term investments, do you keep going bigger each time, or do you try and like, or are most of your investments kind of the same size? Like, does it make a difference really? For me, honestly, it, it kind of just whatever whatever makes sense. If there's a property that's um, that makes sense and it's a two bedroom, I would go with it. If there's a property that makes sense and it's a five or six bedroom, I would go with it. it really, just if, if there's something that's good and it makes the amount of money that I think it it should make and it, it makes sense to invest that amount of money to make X amount, I would go with it. Yeah, I agree with Mike there. Um, there's a couple of points that I'll add, and first one is that it'll get boring to keep doing the same thing over and over. You're going you're gonna to realize you want to tackle something bigger, better, something you have a little more passion about, something that's new to you. Um, there's always something nice about that challenge. Uh, and then the other thing is the leverage. So when you're doing these houses at a lower down payment, yes, it might be even the smaller ones might make a little bit more money, 
uh, from a cash on cash perspective. But when it, you break it down and you look and see that you're making a lot more money with the bigger houses, uh, you're gonna wanna stick bigger so that you can leverage um, and not have to go out and try to take two loans, right? So for example, we talked about getting one and then moving a year later. You're left with a much better product if you leverage and grab say a $400,000 house instead of buying two $200,000 houses because of the time constraint and the loan constraint. It's a really good thing to consider. Um, Go bigger. Don't be afraid. <laughs> yeah, especially if you, if you can leverage that that ten percent as a second home, you can go much bigger, and you're gonna spend half as you would by using a twenty percent. Put me in debt. <laughs> I'm at at least five million. I'm trying to rack it up. <laughs> Run it up. All right, guys. So let's center back into where we started. I'm ready to get started on investing. Seems like I'm gonna go house hacking. Am I forgetting anything? Are there any questions I'm not asking right now? Like what should, anything that should be in my mind as I'm like preparing for this next step? Uh, one good question is, um, should I use a realtor? And why should I use a realtor? And what should I look for in getting a realtor? Um, personally, I would say you totally should get a realtor because there's so many benefits to having a realtor um, because you don't know real estate probably, or maybe you know a little bit, but a realtor is gonna they should anyway know their market and yeah they should know their market pretty well and kind of know the things that you should look for in a house know why this house might be better than another house know what this house should be priced if it's properly priced if it's overpriced underpriced they should know their market very very well like the back of their hand um, and it's really just going to help you save money and not spend more money than you probably should yeah, I'll ask you this. Do you think you'd get better at basketball uh, learning from Michael Jordan, or do you think you'd get better just going playing by yourself? You want it. You want to work with the expert. They've done it. They've been there. They can give you the perspective. Uh, but with that, you want to make sure you're working with a, an agent that is doing or has done exactly what you, you're looking to do. Because if you're just taking any run-of-the-mill realtor, some agents are super good at finding houses for people who want to move in and start a family and get the forever home. Some agents are really good at finding great places to lease out and rent out, and they know the, the best areas to hang out in and where you're going to have a lot of fun. Some agents know where to house hack, and you just have to be aligned with whoever you're working with uh, and look for people who have done what you're looking to do. Yeah, you should definitely look at your sort of your real estate agents, um, almost like their history, what they've done. Have they, have they worked with a lot of people before? Um, maybe even talk to those people they've worked before and, and ask how their interaction was with the realtor. Um, and like if you're working with somebody, um, if you're working with a realtor to find an investment, you should see like do they invest themselves? Are they you know practicing what they preach? So Mike, you're saying I should avoid the 19 year old realtor who hasn't really sold much yet. That's what I just got from the conversation. No, uh, no, no, no. I would say you go to Mike if you're looking to buy a house in the Poconos and short term rent. However, I would say Mike might not be your best bet if you're looking for a house hack because there are other people in this room on this podcast who have done many house hacks in the past. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been a lot of really good information. I'm super excited. But back to the realtor thing one last time. One more question. Does it cost me to use one? Like versus like going like what's the fee on like do I pay that out? Like what how does it hurt like are there like any like things that hurt me on it? Like yeah, so it depends on which side of the transaction you're on. So not everybody knows this, but sellers do pay both sides of the commissions for the realtors. So when you're going to sell your house, you're going to be paying up to that 6% commission for the realtors, right? 
if you're on the buyer side, there really isn't anything you're paying for as a, as for the realtor. That's the best part about buying houses is you're working with a realtor slash friend uh, and it costs you nothing. You just get to work together and have a good time. I was wondering, that's why I was thinking, like that sounds like such a hack in itself. Like you get all this knowledge, why wouldn't you use a realtor if it doesn't cost you? It totally. makes so much sense when you're on the buy side. Now, every state is different. That's the case in Pennsylvania and in most states, the, the buyer side, the agency is free. But there are other states that are crazy like New York City where you're paying a fee for everything. Nothing's free in New York City. So make sure you, uh, if you're looking to invest, just look out and see like what those fees typically are. If you're in PA, you're good to go. And then one thing to know is even if you are on the seller side of the transaction, it is still beneficial to use that realtor because they're going to know the market and they're going to know what you can get for your house and they're going to be able to bargain with the, the buyer's agent and, and figure out a real a good price for you and a good price that makes sense for the buyer. And it's, it's they're actually going to probably make you more money than you would have spent just by using them. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, just from a negotiation perspective, a marketing perspective, like my, my phone in Rolodex is filled with hundreds if not thousands of people who are ready to buy a house. Whereas if you're trying to sell your own place, you are just listing that online and hoping for the best. Uh, you don't know what to look out for in a buyer. You might get yourself caught up in a transaction. It might take way longer. You might get beat on negotiations. So using a realtor is basically like using a light to try to attract a bug to get zapped. Um, you wanna use them if you're, you're looking to sell your house. Yeah, it's gonna be much easier. They, they have the marketing power. They have you know, a bunch more benefits than, than like I said, than it would cost to, to use them. And you don't have to do anything. That's awesome, yeah, that's the greatest part. All right, Carrie, I feel like we've given you a lot of information. We wanna see you do something with it. More free information is what I'm hearing. This, might, this podcast is a hack in itself. A lot yeah. of hacks here. You got house <laughs> hacks, you got podcast <laughs> hacks. Realtor hacks, I mean. Got it all on the podcast, guys. Yeah, well, I look forward to seeing that first lease you get sent out. I hope there's a lot of cool, funky rules that you have in there and you have the best of luck with finding some new roommates and new homies. Um, if there's anything else we can do for you, let us know. Yeah, but uh, anyways, guys, we're probably going to wrap it up here. Um, if you got any value out of the podcast, which I know you did if you listened because we had some, some fire pieces in this one, um, please leave us a review on whichever platform you're listening on. Um, and yeah. or, or don't. It's your life. You don't have to. But please do. Yeah, please. But please do. Five stars. Write a little, write a little review. Leprechaun we right will send a leprechaun. <laughs> we will tell the bank that you're not actually living in your house hack. We, we will tell them. Or worse, we'll tell your landlord, which means you're still renting. Oh. And we don't want you to be still renting. Oh, that yeah, sounds you awful. Don't want that. I you wouldn't don't want that. Worse that on my, wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah, but anyways, guys, that's pretty much it. Um, just leave us a review if you want to. Um, do it though that'd be kind of sick uh, also if you want to be on this podcast next just like carrie was um you can either go to uh my instagram at live free with mikey or jd's instagram at live free with jd um, or carrie's little... instagram at cash out carrie awesome. we will accept that. applications for the next week to the podcast at cash out carrie's account yep so you can dm See all there. <laughs> <laughs> you can dm any one of us or you can go in me or jd's link trees and then we do have a a, a proper form you'll you'll, you'll fill out um, and you might just be on the next podcast asking us some questions. Or you might not because that form, it's tough, it's tricky, you get it submitted, it might not be good enough. Apply again later. Yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. Um, live free. Live free. Live free, bye.